This is the original Pignettes Brass Band, which is fitting for today's program because it's March, which is the month of Mardi Gras, and it's also Women's History Month. And the original Pignettes Brass Band is an all-women brass band based out of New Orleans. So, fits right into today's program. I'm Jordan Bell. Welcome back to First You Hustle. Today we present Uninterrupted, our Women in Design panel presented by the Industrial Design Program at CCAD, which took place on campus on March 4th. This was recorded during the last week that we had students on campus this semester. Right after this event, we went on spring break, which got extended, and then courses shifted to remote learning in response to the COVID-19 crisis. You can learn more about how CCAD is responding to COVID-19 at ccad.edu slash public health. At the time this was recorded, again on March 4th, I don't think anyone realized that in all likelihood, this would be the last public event we hold on campus this semester. And we originally planned to share this panel with you at the end of March, and so here we are. And wherever you are, at home I hope, you can learn from the experiences of our panelists. And it's a long panel, but we didn't want to edit any content out or break it up into multiple episodes. So. To help you manage, in the description of this podcast are timestamps for when different topics or questions come up through the panel in case you want to jump around or take a pause and then revisit the episode at a later time. Okay, let's throw things over to Dr. Melanie Korn, president of the Columbus College of Art and Design, who moderated this panel. Welcome, everybody. My name is Melanie Korn, and I'm the president here at Columbus College of Art and Design. I'm really thrilled to have you here. I was just saying uh, earlier before we started, that this is the fourth year of this event, fourth year of this event, and every year um, I see a number of new uh, faces who I haven't seen before, and that is um, a really great thing, uh, you know, about this event. And of course, that happens at all of our events here at CCAD, um, but it's always wonderful to uh, have events like this that can both serve our students and help them um, with their con you know, continuing uh, education that goes beyond the classroom, but also um, bring folks in from the greater community and provide a public service uh, to the greater Columbus area. So thank you all for being here with us tonight. Um, I'm not gonna do lengthy introductions of these amazing women up here. You have their written bios, uh, and I'm gonna ask them to introduce themselves, but I will just, um, tell you who you're talking to tonight. Um, so we have Michelle Fenstermaker. I'm looking this way, I know. <laughs> Gotta get around here. Uh, Michelle is the strategy director for North America at Fitch. Um, Diane Rambo is the SVP and executive creative director at Big Red Rooster. And Allison Westrick, who is a designer, brand consultant, entrepreneur, and organizer. So um, thank you all so much for coming. Um, thank you to our sponsors for tonight's event, especially Seventh Sun Brewing, um, co-founded by a CCAD alumna. You may not think that a degree in art design leads to owning your own brewery, but it can, um, which is pretty great. 
But um, tonight, we're going to talk about um, the careers of these amazing women um, and their life uh, within the design world. Um, this, of course, is Women's uh, History Month. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about history today because I've been trying to participate in this um, GCAC Instagram challenge where every day in March there's a new topic you're supposed to uh, hashtag, and I haven't done my Instagram post yet for today, but today's history. Um, so it's been on my mind a lot, uh, and I think this is a really um, important event for us to have every year because um, even now, um, women are um, are underrepresented in many design fields, uh, and so I think it's always important for us to um, celebrate the accomplishments of those women who are making history uh, in the design field and to really help us uh, move things forward in a different direction. So. I will get off my soapbox and I will turn things over uh, to our panelists. So to start, um, can you just give a brief snapshot of your career path that uh, led you to your current position? Whoever wants to start, we're gonna not go in any order. I can start. Hi everybody, my name is Allison Westrick and I have a studio called Sketch Blue. We focus on brand identity and environments design. And I'm a graphic designer by training. I went to the University of Cincinnati. I just didn't know about CCAD. So I went to UC and um, for the past 20 years have been working in design. I love working in design. I'm grateful every day to be doing it. Um, about half of that time in large agencies like Fitch and WD Partners and half of that time kind of for myself independently. So that's a little snapshot. Uh, Rambo. Um, I work at Big Red Rooster. Um, I am the original rooster, so um, I guess I've been there a while. I think we're on our 18th year this year. Uh, I came from a um, RPA, which was a group that merged with Fitch, and uh, I had been there 17 years. So um, I also love working in design. I love, I've always thought of myself as an entrepreneur in design because I've never really listened to anyone. Um, and uh, I think that it's just, a, it's a great field for women. I think it's, it's definitely a field that you can succeed at, and uh, I would encourage everyone to do it. Uh, hello, uh, my name is, well, I want to do a shout out to Seventh Sons though. The Kitty Hard Seltzer was great. You should try it. John, you were right on with that. Uh, Michelle Fenstermaker, I'm strategy director at Fitch. I'm a repeat at Fitch. I launched my career there and crossed paths with Allison several years ago. Uh, I'm not a designer. I'm a strategist uh, by way of insights and analytics and eventually grew into strategy, so it's a really great field if you want to work in design consulting um, and understand how customers and shoppers think and behave. Um, I launched my career at Fitch. I stayed there for 13 years. Then I went and did my own business for about eight, which was a, a great adventure and uh, one that I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. And then I crossed paths with Allison again at WD Partners. And I know some of you um, are here. And then um, I'm back at Fitch. So, and I've been there um, almost five years now. So, it's my snapshot. Wonderful. So when you were little, did you always think you wanted to be a designer or a strategist? Uh, and what was your, how, how did you get on that career path? What started you to get you to where you got here? Uh, so I always wanted to be an artist. Um, and it always drew, I never participated in team sports. <laughs> I always wanted to just do art. Um, so I came to CCAD, I attended CCAD, and in that time period, I learned of retail design. 
and uh, started working while I was in school and left school, sorry, but, um, and started working full time for, at retail design. And it was just, it's like potato chips. You just really crave it once you're in it. I, like Diane, always use the word art. Like, I want to be an art. And it's funny that my mom is sitting in the audience back here because I think she had a panic moment when I said, I'm going to go to school for art. And all she could think of is, my daughter is going to be starving. <laughs> and I can remember having a conversation. It was kind of before the word design was a part of everyday language like it is today. And I didn't know any designers. I didn't know any architects. I didn't know any creatives. And we had a meeting with the guidance counselor, and we were talking about you know, the kinds of things you like to do. And I said, well, what career is a career where you, you don't have to write the presentation, but you can make the poster that goes with the presentation? <laughs> and he said, I think, I think that's graphic design. And the second I toured a college and saw those studios and learned about what graphic design was, sold. I was in 100%. So from art to you've got to make money to that's the job for me. Well, I unfortunately did not have a positive guidance counselor interaction like you did, Allison. <laughs> not at all. Um, I had no idea when I was younger. Um, and I am the least, I don't want any of my fitchers to say anything, <laughs> artistic person that I know. I'm not artistic. I never had a desire for art. I appreciated art for that other people did, but I was not artistic in any way. Um, I was math-minded as a high school uh, female. And so when I had my guidance counselor meeting, uh, Mr. Joseph, I'll never forget this, he says, you need to be a, a part of women in engineering back in the 80s. So that's what I went into. Some of my pictures don't even know that, probably. Um, I started out, and I, I went to Ohio State, and uh, I was in the mechanical engineering program. And after one year of sitting in calculus classes, um, you know, we are talking about women in, in careers. I was, think, maybe the only one. And uh, it quickly uh, came to me that this was not a career for me. Um, there was no way, no how was I suited for that from a personality standpoint. And um, I was introduced to the idea of, of going into the business school and marketing. So marketing was my path, and there was this company, you guys remember Richardson Smith, industrial design, that was uh, where Fitch began before they became Fitch, and I had a college roommate who said, we're looking, they're looking for a co-op to uh, be in our marketing and business development group. I think you'd be perfect for it. And so I applied, and, and the rest is history. They kept me for 13 years, and I really learned, and I've always worked, um, in the design agency world. I've never worked on the client side. It's been all agency and with creatives. And being a strategist or an insights person or somebody that has a background in marketing to work daily with creatives has really, it, it's really made me a better career woman and I wouldn't have it really any other way. And it's been 30 plus years. <laughs> It's been a long time dating myself. Say that with excitement and pride. That's well, awesome. I just, it's been a long time I've been doing this. She's smart. 30 plus years, right? It's great. That's an achievement. That's great. So um, so as you have maybe put together, um, everyone up here on stage, except me, uh, has spent much of their um, design careers working in agencies. And so we want to spend a little bit of time tonight talking about 
um, about agency life. Uh, so, you know, thinking about the clients, the projects, uh, the teams that you've all worked with throughout your uh, throughout your careers. So, um, let's talk about clients a little bit first. So, um, for students or individuals here who have not worked in an agency, um, can someone briefly describe uh, what we mean when we say agency life? I think of agency life being about variety. So a lot of what we do is for very different industries, whether it be banking or retail or restaurant or grocery or even like salons and spas. I think variety is the name of the game and the biggest differentiator um, working in an agency versus working for a corporation or a client's. Yeah, that's. A, I never went to a client side, even though I had the opportunities, because I thought I'll get bored. Um, in an agency, you have just you know you you get to live in somebody's life for you know twelve weeks or two years, and you learn all about their business, and you get all of their problems, and you work to solve them, and it's just fascinating. And then. At, when you leave, hopefully they've learned from you and you've learned from them and you know, made lifetime friends mm -hmm. as clients um, because you, you, you worked so hard with them beside them. And I just think the fascination is there's always something fresh, there's always something new and different. Yeah, I would, I would echo that. The freshness and newness and variety has kept me from going the client side. But I think the other thing, especially for the students in here, you know, if you work in agency life, what I tell people is you know a little bit about a lot of things, a lot of industries, a lot of categories, um, never really deep into any one thing because you touch so many things. So if that excites you, interests you, I absolutely recommend um, considering um, agency life because like these two ladies, the variety is, is terrific. Yeah, we could have a very, very surfacey Jeopardy game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. Very surfacey. Absolutely. When it came to double jeopardy, though, you guys would go downhill. I, I assume. <laughs> Toast. So, um, so how have client expectations changed over the years, and how have you kind of managed those changing expectations? Well, uh, fast. There's Faster. one word. Client expectations are faster, quicker. You need to be agile. You need to be flexible. Um, I remember working back in the day, we would put a proposal together, right? And you would map out your timeline and your deliverables. And you ladies know what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, nine months, 12 months, we'll get to the, the end goal. Oh, no, can you do that in like four weeks? And you um, sent the proposal via printed copy in a FedEx. FedEx it. Yeah, you'd it FedEx it. It didn't go electronically. <laughs> well, and I think, so you had a week to think about it. You and know? I think what's driving that really, this the speed, is so many, at least of the clients that we work with, are fighting for relevancy. Especially to any of those students are here that are, you guys are in the Generation Z. The clients that are serving you, and especially in the retail world, they are fighting to be relevant with the next generation. And they're one bad business decision away from closing their doors. Yeah. So that's why the speed is so important. Because quite honestly, a lot of them are just playing, they're just trying to catch up. 
um, it's refreshing when they come to us before that. But yeah, they usually they they it's like they woke up, like they were asleep for ten years, and they and everything came along, and now they're like, well, how do we catch up? What do we do? Because they know now that it's not enough to just put product out and sell it to you. That there needs to be an experience attached. That you want transparency. That you want to understand it. And they don't know how. That, that came on them, and they don't know how to change that, you know, that consumer behavior, so they are really struggling, and I think that's why it's so fast. Everything's moving so fast, they need us really fast. I think it's also interesting, um, you know, sometimes concepts in the past had been delivered via just hand sketches and tracing paper, and now we can deliver a concept, even if it's initial and we know nothing about how it works or built, it looks like a photograph. And so, of course, the client looks at you and they're like, well, this is done, right? We love it all. Go. And you're like, well, it's going to take three more months to figure out everything. And that's before we get to the construction process. So I think the way that tools have supported visualization create this kind of misperception on how fast we can go. And I think that's just kind of egged on the speed to market perception. Yeah, I was thinking the other thing to build on that, that um, when you ask about clients and what they're looking for besides speed is I've noticed through the years, um, and we've been on both ends of this, vendor versus true partner. And we're finding a lot of clients who, especially those who are fighting for relevance, they want a partner. Mm -hmm. So it's beyond just the project. They really want a partner to help them in decision making beyond that. So it's really critical to the types of designers that work with us that you do kind of have that business mindedness about you. Um, and that you, because these are big, you know, especially when you're working with some of the big retailers and service providers in the world, you know, you're surrounded, you're sitting around a table with these really smart individuals. So they are looking for that partnership and they're looking for a little bit of um, objectivity because they have to get out of their own way. So I've noticed that happening a lot more probably in the last four to five years of the types of clients that we work with. We always think, you know, the client has chosen you. Um, so they, they talked to a bunch of us and they picked one of them and they really have put their career on the line by picking you to, to help them be successful. And so you have to remember that every time you do something for them because ultimately it's your job to make them successful. Um, so we'll have you know things that we're doing for the whole company, but you're that individual, that individual that gets up in the morning and brushes their teeth and has their coffee, that person needs you. And so you start to think about that, the humanness of that. And that this acceleration, the pressure is amazing. Um, there is really no time like uh, that they can't get in touch with you. I, you. Most people have your cell phone and they're talking to you whenever they need you. Um, and that's that's changed a lot from the old nine to five. This is when we talk to our clients. FedEx oh, we'll delivery. see you in two weeks. With a letter. <laughs> <laughs> So that leads right into my next question, which is, um, given the fact that you are, this is such a tense time and there is so much at stake and you are, you know, um, holding, again, your clients' livelihoods in your hands in many ways, um, what happens, you know, when the client doesn't listen to your sage advice about the direction to go, what, you know, what you should do, and how do you handle those situations? They always listen. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> I feel like my whole career, and maybe you guys could support this, is a practice in helping someone see 
the answer to their question or you know helping them see the opportunity so I feel like that's our whole job is how do we connect their problem with our idea for the solution and convince them it's the one to do you know so that's our job every day to help the client hear or see or listen and, and give them perspective because they typically come to you thinking this is the problem. We too are strategically led and so and it's so important um, it's not designed for design's sake it really is solving a problem and so you really want to make sure that they're looking at it from the customer, I mean for us it's a customer that we're really trying to please ultimately their customer and I think it's always the strategy that becomes the weight that we can hang you know our our design on and really get them to accept it um, you know, you, you, you don't disagree with the client a lot, um, but what you do is show them. You, sh you, you show them, you open their eyes to what, what's possible, because they will come in with some pre preconceived idea. That's why they were looking for you in the first place. Um, and hopefully, they're going to get something that they didn't expect, and it's going to be, you know, exactly what they need. No, I'm glad you brought up customer because that's obviously one thing. We talk about this whole idea of customer centricity. Many of the organizations that we work with, and you guys will see this, um, some of you, the students and you guys going into design, they're very siloed organizations. Even in today's day and age, they're very departmentally focused. So, you know, the customer is the only thing that unites them. You know, you have your marketing, and then you have your operations team, and then you have, you know, training and development, and you have the product people, and you have, you know, retail marketing. And in some of the really big organizations, the customer is the only thing that unites them. And the other thing that I say when I was kind of laughing, they always listen. I, I know that they don't, but we have to be really good listeners ourselves. You have to, because as, and I, you know, designers, I'm not throwing you under the bus. I kind of am a little bit. But there's this, um, it's called creative ego, right? And we have it to being non-designers. And I'm saying it from a, um, a good ideas, you know, are born. And it's just listening to the client. Sometimes they'll just give you one little nugget. And then you're able to take that. And one thing that we really try to practice is validating them where they are. If they know they've been heard, then you have a better success of selling in, you know, your strategy, your idea, your concept. Just validate. There's always something you can validate, just even a little bit. Even the crazy clients, they've got something that, that's worth it. And once they know that they've been heard, their whole demeanor changes when you're consulting with them, so. That's great. Um, so let's switch gears just a little bit and talk about some of the projects that you've worked on. So um, maybe if you could each just share what's one of the most uh, rewarding projects that you've worked on in your career? That wasn't part of the prep questions. <laughs> I have it's a right fun here. story. Tell us about a rewarding project you've worked on. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't They're know if it was the exact project, but it was a moment. And I had worked on a grocery store for Safeway. It was a small format store. It was in Long Beach, California. We had an old building that literally had everything wrong you could imagine, like flood zones, structural seismic problems, basement, you know, like everything that was wrong with it. And a timeline that was insane. Construction started at the same time design started. And they were like, hurry up and tell us the answers, right? And so we go through this process. It's the night before or 
the day of opening day, it's like 10 minutes before the doors are gonna open, and I was walking the store with the very rare other woman in charge. We were walking the store, talking about the project, couldn't believe we got through it, looked beautiful, the merchandise was perfect. I mean, like everything was ready to go. And we saw this woman, this older woman at the doors, kinda, you know, like looking in. She kinda wanted to get a first glance. She was first in line. And my client invited her in, and the three of us walked through the store together. And when those doors opened and she got five feet into the store, she goes, oh my God. And she proceeded to tell us that this store, when it closed to get remodeled, it broke her heart. It was the only one she could walk to. This is where she got her groceries. She hadn't been able to go anywhere else. And she never expected this new store to be as beautiful as it looked. And so at that moment, like blood, sweat, and tears didn't matter because she was happy, the store was open, she was loyal, it was dedicated. So that moment, to see like a pure customer reaction was just like, I think that was pinnacle. I, I, you just described the potato chip theory. That's what it is. Because you go through this whole thing with the client. You finally convince them. You, you've done all this work. You now figure it all out in construction drawings, and it's gone through vendors, and it's gone through this whole, and then you live it. You basically go while it's being built, and you merchandise, and you do all this stuff. And the moment you see it in action, you're in love. I mean, it's yes. like having a child. It's like, yes. you're just like, oh my God. I, and, and I've had that so many times. I'm very fickle. My, whoever I'm working on now is my favorite client. I, <laughs> I, can, I just get so excited. But the, I had the chance to work on the Cleveland Browns Stadium. I'm a Browns fan. And when they left and came back to Cleveland, and they called, uh, I had a friend in the NFL, and they said, you know, do you want to work on the Browns Stadium? I'm like, I'll do it for free. Um, you know, I just have that, yes. And so I got to work with a whole group of really amazing um, people. And when we opened those doors the first opening day, and you know, it's Cleveland, people were pent up for years without a team. I was bawling. I mean, because they were so excited and they, they, they just loved every moment of it. And you're just like going, Oh my God, these people, you know, what we did mattered to them. And that's, it's, it's very rewarding. Um, and that is, the, that's where the magic happens when you see people using your idea. Yeah, I remember uh, when my kids, because I've been doing it, right, for 30 plus years. So I have uh, a couple of adult children now, but when they were younger, we used to walk the stores. And we used to see what mommy worked on. Not designed it, but maybe I had one little nugget of it, right? Because um, back in the day when I worked at Fitch Round 1, we did a lot in package design and product design. So it was really cool. And some of you, they're sitting down here, Christine and Gregor, you guys remember those days, right? You got to see it sitting on the shelf. And just to know that, and, just, and people are actually picking it up and putting it in their cart. And there was something really satisfying about that. Um, and again, I'm like you, the most rewarding are the ones that, you know, we're working on a great project right now, and some of my team members are sitting here, and it's just, it's, it could be game changing, right? It's, it's, it's exciting stuff, and it's personally rewarding, but I think some of the, the medical work that, and John, you remember this back in the day, we did a lot in the medical field uh, at Fitch, and I remember moderating a focus group, and it was with people who suffered from narcolepsy. And we were doing, I was moderating a focus group, and 
I was trying to get this group engaged in evaluating these the, the form factors, right? Which one was the most visually appealing? Which one would you purchase? And I had a man, and their spouses, because when you have um, narcolepsy and sleep apnea, it was more for the sleep apnea. And he stood up in the middle of the focus group and he said, lady, he called me lady. He said, lady, with all due respect, I don't care if that machine's as big as this damn room. I'm alive because of it. So you acting like this is sitting on the shelf at Walmart or Target and asking me to pick based on how it looks is meaningless. And that was an eye opener at that point, right? These were people and their lives. The designers were sitting in the back room. The client was in the back room. And it was just one of those moments that was like, okay, this is more than beauty. This is more about connecting to people and their lives. So, and that one's always stuck with me. And it's been a long time um, since since that type of project. Yeah, med medical's a weird, it's different, um, and it really, but retail principles and things like that really do affect it. We, we had the honor to work on Children's Hospital, and I would go, it was a wonderful experience, it, it's, it's a beautiful space, um, but I would come back every time to the office, Michelle knows, and I would be teary-eyed because the, I would be like, how do those parents do it? How can they go there every, you know, they, have, they had groups called Frequent Flyers that were there a couple times a week, and it was just, and when you left feeling like that hospital is going to be beautiful and they're going to get to be experiencing this every day, it, it, you know, it was different. It was complete because it was life-changing for them, definitely. So you've touched on this a little bit already, but, um, but when you, you, don't, you don't always get that experience of, you know, seeing the first customer, you know, at the front door. So how do you know when a, when a project has been successful? Typically when they make money. Uh, good things. answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can make a lot of beautiful things, but ultimately all of our clients are typically in a business proposition and they are there to make money. Um, so uh, it's not something that I think, I think it drives us. It really does because ultimately I think in design you can make beautiful things, but we're measured on the fact that they sold more things, the adjacencies were right, um, it was compelling to go in and shop and you bought more than you came for, right? I mean, we all been to Target and that happens every time, <laughs> right? Yeah. There's kind of two times where you know you did a good job. First, the client tells you right out of the gate, this is perfect, this is what I want, we're gonna do this, we're gonna build this. And the second time is when the customer validates the client's direction. Like you said, start selling, people start showing up. And, you know, I mean, ditto to all of that, right? I mean, they have to make money. But then from a customer sentiment, you know, a lot of our clients measure themselves on something called um, NPS, which is like a net promoter score. And all that simply means is um, how likely are you to tell other people about this experience? And when that, and they, they, I mean, especially a public company, you know, they live and die by by that, and they really can make more investments when they know that those types of scores are going up. Um, it, it's great to win design awards too, though. Don't get me wrong; I know we that yeah. design firm of the year for you guys, right? You guys got that last year, and it's fun, right? And it's really, it makes you feel proud. And and any time that that Fitch wins an award, we feel really, really proud of that. Um, but um, hopefully, at the end of the day. It has, it's ringing cash registers. People are talking about it in a positive way. Uh, and they keep, and in today's world, to be honest, they keep their doors open. 
sometimes that is all it takes as a measure of success, that they're able to keep those doors open until they reorganize and think about what the next strategy or plan is. So, in, in addition to the customer, I'll say the employee. When I hear that an employee's job is better because of what we did, that makes me so happy because you also know, you know, it's, it, that's how the economy works, right? So this person has to go to work every day. And so the idea that we've made their jobs better is, is also payback. So the customer's always first, that's, that's, that's the universal language, but the employees are important as well. And, and so I, I love it when we get feedback from employees saying, I love working here, I'd have somebody else work here. So um, since, since you all have worked primarily or totally on the agency side um, for a number of years. Um, how has your approach to projects changed over the years, or has it? We don't have to use typesetters anymore. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I took a typing test when I, no. I feel like the design approach that we take to solve a problem has not changed. You know, in some ways, it gets dialed up or dialed down depending on the client's needs or the sophistication required. But the process of learning and listening, you know, developing concepts and strategies, you know, making it real, none of that process, even if you could call it 50 different things, hasn't changed throughout the years. I find that the the, the only change, I agree with you totally from, it is very, very similar uh, process, what you have to go through, because you don't want to minimize any of those steps, other than the speed a little bit based on the client. But I also feel, at least from our clients that we've been working with, I feel there's more of a, a collaborative spirit among them to want to um, come up with some of the ideas and the solutions with us. Um, and that does two things, right? We, I mean, and <laughs> we don't need them to do that, right? We can probably come up with some really great things as long as we have access to their data and we know what the objectives are. But they, um, the biggest thing, it just gives them ownership and it helps sell in. Sometimes the ideas that, that we're coming up with in retail or, or in communications or, or brand strategy is, could be fundamentally opposed to some of the C-suite. So if they've bought into that and they've collaborated with us, that gives them that um, that that sell-in power. Ownership. Yeah. They they just have ownership, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so we love it when they're open to collaboration. Um, and we do that quite a bit. And I would say the only other changes. I think the customer is so much more savvy and sophisticated. They've done so much more work shopping. They they actually you know. Uh, they know what they're looking for, and I, you know, the internet. Obviously, they're doing yeah. so much pre-shop, and they're understanding things. And so, it's our job then to serve it up differently to them, so that the experience is different. I think that's when retailers get in trouble is when they're lazy and they think that they can just do what they've done, and that promotion coming on Sundays is going to get you in the store. And it's not because you, you, you know, you're you're more time sensitive now as a customer. You care more about what you're doing with your life, you have less time, you're more connected, but you never see anyone. Um, you know, it's just, so, so now when you go to the store or whether your groceries are delivered to you, 
those things have changed, and that's been the biggest change for us, I think, because, and you know, if you, if you worked for Pepsi 10 years ago, the only thing they ever wanted to talk about was Coke, you know, because they were only looking that far out the window. But now they understand that people's healthcare experiences and your gym experience has something to do with Pepsi, and they have to consider all of that life. And so I think that's been the biggest change for me. That's how I think about it. And um, just thinking about that, and th again, thinking specifically about retail, though, it impacts, obviously, areas beyond retail. Um, how has that shift from you know, brick and mortar to online um, impacted the work that you all do? Oh, it's impacted everything. Um, but it's what the customer has taken us there, right? So, you know, to your point, Diane, I mean, we know that their expectations are elevated outside of our clients' category. So, so things that have become very seamless and easy for them, that, and we try to make it difficult in brick and mortar. I mean, it, it, it has changed from the types of talent that we bring into our organization. We've really had to shift uh, quite a bit with the types of people that we're looking for that understand this, you know, I'm gonna use the word omni, right? It gets a little bit overused, but it's this omni world that we live in. People who can think that way. Um, but, if, if, but if you put the customer at the center, it doesn't matter at the end of the day if it's online, brick and mortar, um, what are they expecting? I think what has changed is everyone's perspective, right? In the past, maybe if we lived in Columbus, we had 10 choices of stores for something. But now, with a phone in our pocket, which is about 50 billion stores that we carry around with us, the choice set has just gotten broader. So it's required and it's kind of demanded that if you're gonna do a retail concept online or in a store or a combination of both that you just need to be the best at, the most differentiated, the most distinct because it's so convoluted out there. If you do anything less than that, you just really have no chance. And, and retailers have one you know, competitive advantage. Um, it can be an experience for you. You can actually, when you're online, you're online, you know, you're looking at everything, um, but you're not really experiencing it fully. But being in a store and buying jeans, <laughs> um, you, you, know, you get to try them on. You get, and they have the human aspect of it. They have a person there. Um, a person that can come bring you new things, Nordstrom's, you know, they bring more to you. They, and suddenly it's a better shopping experience than you would have online where you got the box, they didn't fit, you send them back. You know, it's a sort of a simple, or you know, they came in an hour <laughs> because that's the expectation now. And so retailers have some things that they can really harness um, but they have to think about that, and they can't make it hard for a customer. And you know, they used to, retailers used to say, "Oh, your employees, you know, we just get more. Everybody works retail." It's a, now it's really about training that person, making sure that person is, you know, a brand ambassador that they they care deeply, that they will go above and beyond for the customer because otherwise, you can buy it online. Well, and that there's a level of hospitality. You know, you can't find your people. We talk a lot about the human aspect as a design firm. We don't design people, we design spaces and experiences online and in brick and mortar and what have you, but we are really challenging our clients to look at the human asset and sometimes we call it their, their secret weapon, the power of people. Um, and even in the next generation, and I'm not gonna ask everyone to, sometimes I say, who's the boomers in the audience? Who are the Gen Xers, who are the Gen Zers? Um, there's this, this 
um, return to craving a human touch, and and I know we've heard that, but we're actually seeing it where, you know, um, the mall's, yeah, the mall's dead. The mall's dead as the mall was. The mall idea is not dead in terms of a place where people want to get out and just fellowship. I mean, I think there's, we need to, to redefine what mall means, but there's just hundreds of examples of that, that human nature. So we work really hard with our clients to help them understand that as well. Um, Although if they could bring back the mall from Stranger Things, <laughs> I would hang out there all the time. Orange Julius, Sam Goody, all of it. It'd be amazing. Oh but, I think you can know, still get an Orange Sa Julius. I know I can, but it's not the same. It's you got to be in same. that mall. It's got to be next to the Sam Goody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sadly, the Gen Xer generation is not big enough to be uh, the heart of any retail uh, industry. <laughs> so sadly, I probably won't get my mall. Anyway, um, so um, you all talked a little bit about collaborating with clients um, and you know how important that is. And of course, the work that you do in agencies is all about collaboration within the agency. It's all team-based work. Um, and I think this is so important for um, you know, students and alum and you know, those entering the workforce to really understand that, um, that it's all about working with teams. And so I just wanna have you talk a little bit about um, you know, what, what's a great team experience? What has been a challenging team experience? I'm gonna get personal now. <laughs> Got a little group right there. Um, no, it is teams. I mean, you, you, it's, only, it's one of the main reasons I left being a, just on my own was because I missed team collaboration, you know? I mean, the best ideas are born out of, you know, creating with your, your closest neighbor in the office. Um, anyone going into the agency world, um, unless you're going to be a single entrepreneur and not collaborate with anyone, which is rare. I mean, Allison, you own your own business and you're collaborating with people every day. It's just not Allison Westrick, right? right. It's, it's not at all. So, I mean- It's more it, fun that way. Yeah, exactly. Um, just, to say you be a team player just seems so, amateur hour to say that, you have to, I think you have to know when to stay in your lane, but also know when to be able to help stretch thinking. And I think that that, that can be really um, challenging sometimes when you have, you know, designers working with non-designers. But um, at the end of the day, I mean, that's, that's where the great, the, the great ideas are born in teams. I very rarely heard. Now, an individual in the group can 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 throw out that golden nugget that we can all grab onto, and then the next person build on it, and then the next person build on it. Um, and I think that actually makes it exciting to come into the office every day. I can't imagine not sitting and collaborating with other people, um, solving solving business problems. Yeah, and it's when you're getting the mix of people coming at it from different different, you know, having a strategist and a designer and a communications person and, you know, having a, a, a merchandiser and a planner and everybody's sitting and talking about the same, everybody has a sort of different perspective. I always think we're not going to have perfect people. Everybody is not going to be amazing at everything. So know your strengths, know your weaknesses, find people that have strengths where you have weaknesses <laughs> and then make teams out of that because that is really where, where, the, where it works beautifully. And when you walk away thinking you did 
you know you did better than you would ever done on your own. That's when a team feels like you know you've put the right team together. Um, I often have to create teams, and I, I I really work to what people love to do, and put them in that position so they can do that that work together. They, they everybody's always like, I did better than I could ever have imagined doing it myself, and I I'm sure that's how you feel, you know, being like a singular. Um, entity, but working with a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. I agree, Michelle, that the best work really comes from people pushing and collaborating and giving and taking kind of in uh, a team environment. I think the best teams are teams where everybody who kind of jumps in feels a lot of ownership for the output, feels an ownership for solving the, the client's challenges. So I think the best teams work when everybody's kind of in it with their whole heart, um, contributing in the way that they can contribute. So anyone willing to share? And you don't have to get specific, but what what makes a team experience not work well? Ego. <laughs> well, yeah, it's ego, and I think it's also one. When and I'll flip it just a little bit, and then I'll, I'll talk about what doesn't work well. Somebody said, "What do you think makes a good team player?" Um, to me, speaking from, a, and the designers could come right back to strategists, because I do know if I'm considered to be a good team player. Nobody answer that right now. <laughs> but um, what I think is it's confidence. I think it's being confident in your position. I think it's courage of your conviction. So if you believe in something, being able to sell it to the group and, and being able to stick with that. But I also think it's not digging your heels in and not be willing to to budge for whatever reason, um, even if it's the best idea. I think sometimes it that's where it can go off the rails a little bit, and then you get a label. They're just not a team player. It's just all about you know them. We've a lot of us have been guilty. I've been guilty of that. I'm like, darn it, if they would just. I know this is it. I know Al that it could be five words. Not just two, not just two, five words, if you'd only let me. Um, but you just, it's, it's give and take. I mean, at the end of the day, we've got two, that we've got the customer at the center and we've got the client and what they're trying to, to solve. It's really not about us. It's not, and, and sometimes that's what I mean by ego is that sometimes somebody's really trying to drive it. You've got to listen to the other, you've got to be open because a lot of times it expands on your own idea. You know, you'll have something, somebody puts something on, the next thing comes together and that's where the greatness sort of happens. It's not, that one person is driving the whole thing. So that's what team, you know, and it's very, it's, it's very delicate. So when it's not a good team, it's typically because people have dug mm -hmm. not to listen to each other, and they decided they've got the solve. And you know when the client asks you not to bring that team member to the next meeting, they're probably not the right person to be doing that. And we've all had it. I've had that in every agency. I, I think, I know I've been probably a person that's been asked not to be brought to the next meeting. So, you know, because of, of, of something, it's either personality or not listening to them or, you know what I mean? So it's, you just, you have to be humble, you know, but that does, humble doesn't mean weak at all. Yeah. I think you just have to, to embrace that spirit. I think humble is a really good word. And I don't know, from my perspective, there's something really awesome and relieving that comes with a team. Like, 
I don't need to know everything. I don't need to figure everything out. And I don't need to have all the ideas. Thank God right. we can work together to figure this out. So mm -hmm. That's great. No, thank you for that. Um, so I think a lot of what you just talked about really leads into the next question, which is um, thinking specifically about uh, the roles of women. Um, so can you reflect a little bit on just in your experience, um, how have how has your role, um, or you know, if you want to generalize a little bit, you know, how do you feel the roles of women um, have changed in agencies over the years? Well, let's start uh, all the. Um, I remember, you know, you, you know, the president was a guy, <laughs> and in resources, everybody, not, um, but, uh, and it was just like that was the executive group. Um, and I remember thinking, you know, how am I going to, because you, you, you don't necessarily know from a designer's desk how you're going to get there. But for some reason, you kind of want to. And the reason is because you always think you can do it better than they're doing it. And everybody thinks that, right? You have a boss, you can do better. Um, and so you start looking at it. And, and really, I didn't have a ton of women, you know, out there ahead of me. And so you were like going, okay, so, do a good job, you know, get a, but it was, it was, it seemed like there was a level. And then today now, I mean, it's mostly, I mean, we have mostly women as leaders in our uh, company. And so it's just evolved. It was, it's funny. I was just talking to, to someone today about it and she was just like, yeah, this is such a great place. And, or, you know, and you're like, but it, there, there is a, um, I, I, I hate to say it's, it's a feminine thing. I, I think it could be that we're, we just actually know what it takes to get it done. And so women are a little more forthcoming with that, with, with the staff and with the clients. And so somehow it feels like a, a more comfortable situation. I, mean, I don't want to take the business side out of it because it is a business, um, but there is something more relaxed about it. Um, I don't know if you guys... I had a very different experience. I'll never forget um, my first internship was at Fitch. And my very first boss, Jamie Alexander, was a woman. And I can remember one week into it, first of all, thinking I had hit the jackpot. This is the career for me. Validated the making poster conversation with my guidance counselor. I knew this was it. And I was going to work really hard to do this job. And I can also remember thinking, I'm going to be her. And I'll never forget that moment where I was like, I can be her. I'm going to be her. And that's it. So I always had that perspective. But I think you, you see it more um, when you're in the room with clients. Because I think at our clients, there's still the rare occasion that you have women leadership. And sometimes that's a blessing and a curse. Sometimes when you stand out, you can use that to your advantage. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I was gonna say, that I, I've noticed it more on the client side rather um, than the agency side. And I remember, and Allison, you probably remember this when we worked in the grocery industry back in the day, we would be the only females. Except for my special story, that was a woman. Right, so, um, but then on the CPG side, there were lots of women yeah. in with the big brands, like yes. the Procter and Gamble's and, and, and so forth. Um, you know, I've not, um, to me, I don't really go down that path as much as, okay, you know, you know women power, but what I do want to be able to bring, at least in my own agency, is, a, is empathy. Yeah. I don't know if that's a female, th I don't wanna say that it's not, that males aren't empathetic, 
Um, I've worked with a lot of male designers that are not empathetic, but um, I don't want to say that um, just because I'm a woman, I have empathy. But um, I just think that the when you think about you know men and women in this field, we have a ton of women at our firm, by the way. So actually, I think we might be weighing a little bit more. I don't know if you guys are. Yeah, yeah, right, Carly. So we've got a few more women um, than than we've had in the past, which is which is definitely nice. But um, I think just respecting each other for the position that we're in, whether we're males or females sitting around that leadership table, that we all feel respected. And I think that's the biggest thing that I've tried to gain for myself personally is the minute that I feel I'm working for an agency, and those of you in the young female designers and the male designers, that you feel you're not being respected is when you feel then that then it is time to, to maybe move on. And, uh, and do something else. But um, I've noticed it a lot more in a lot of the categories we work in, just so male-dominated, just sitting around the, the table or you're pitching. Um, and sometimes it's just as simple as, you know, a bunch of men talking about their target customer being shopper mom, and there's not one shopper mom sitting around the table making the decision. That's right. That's <laughs> when the femaleness comes in, and it comes in handy, because, you know, we have that perspective. Um, but I think in agency world, I think it's a great place for women. It is. Um, design agency. I, I feel like it's a, it's a great career path um, and a lot of opportunities. Um, you know, there's not a lot of doors that have been closed to me through my career. Maybe, maybe a couple here and there. Um, but it's really been um, quite refreshing. It's always been challenging. And it's always been, um, I've always tried to take every opportunity that I've been given. So. I like your empathy word. That's the word I was looking for. And I think that it's not that it's, it, with women at, at the table with men, um, it seems to look a more empathetic feel. I, I would say when I had only men executives, you did not feel that. Um, and so I think that's what the change was. It, and it, 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 it feels different. And, I, and it definitely we dominate in our office as well. Um, and it's a great, it's a great career for women. I think, you know, I think, I think anybody that wants to go in should. I would, I think sometimes we, um, we being women tend to, um, you know, shy away. I mean, just your hesitancy to say like, well, I don't, don't want to necessarily say women are more empathetic, but I think, um, I think it's totally valid to acknowledge the fact that not necessarily women um, being sort of born that way, but women through our culture have been acculturated to be more empathetic. We have been responsible for the empathy, right, in partnerships, in parenthood, et cetera. And so I do think we bring that to the table, something that maybe was um, partly because of you know, sexism can be an asset, and so I think it's I think it's an important thing. And it's not to say that there aren't empathetic men, but but uh, but I think it is something that's important to kind of acknowledge that um, that uh, can you know, in your uh, to your point, Diane, really um, can inform leadership when it when there are more women in leadership. Um, so um, just about one or two more questions from me, and um, get ready to think about your questions that you might have, but. Um, I want to still thinking about issues of gender, but um, but more broadly, just to um, 
turn to this idea of work-life balance. This is something I think we talk about every year, uh, you know, on this panel, and it's so important. Um, so, in the in you know in this the pace of the agency that, as we said from the very beginning, is getting faster and faster. Um, what does work-life balance look like for you? Um, what does it look like for your agency? Well, I can speak to that first. My husband's sitting back here, so he can probably chime in for that. He's seen me through the years. Um, it's changing. Actually, it's it's amazing when we are hiring, especially when we're hiring, you know, junior designers and junior strategists to come into. They are all about the work-life balance, you know, and it's and I applaud that. Um, when I was that age, I didn't have that. I mean, it was we were cranking it, um, and it was um, I, I thought actually somewhat detrimental early on in my in my career. Um, you know, I was a young mom working in agency life and traveling, what, 60, 70, 80% of the time. It was difficult. Um, and so it that's on the on the side that, that was more challenging. On the other side, there's a tremendous amount in the agency world of flexibility. And but the, you know, if you are a professional and you get your job done and you have the trust of those you know that you are reporting to or working with, then um, you know you you. If my kid got sick or my kids came into Fitch, uh, Allison probably remembers Jack and and they would just sit at the computer and they would do stuff because I had work, and you know they they couldn't go to school or the sitter wasn't able to take them and so the agency world was not the corporate world where the corporate world it's different now but the corporate world back then had a lot of rules um, you know bringing your kids into work or you know that flexibility we bring our our. Well, I think we are legal bringing our pets in, aren't we? Am I supposed to say that out loud? Yeah, we bring our uh, pets. No, we've, all, we've been pet friendly since the beginning at Fitch. We're in a new building, so we're just trying it out, if you know what I mean, <laughs> um, down in, in the Arena District. But um, so, you know, it's just, it's, that's the beauty of it. But, you know, I think that it's not nine to five. Cool. Right, let's just call it what it is. Anyone's going into this, it's not nine to five. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not always creative nine to five. Like creativity right, doesn't exactly. just like automatically start at 901 and automatically shut off at 501. I also really don't see as a creative person my life and my work being totally separate. Mm-mm. You know, sometimes to have ideas, I need to go for a walk in the woods. And I know the second I start walking in the woods, I will be creative. And so I do think that flexibility component comes into play. You know, nine to five is like when you need to maybe answer the phone for your client to talk to them, because that's when they're working. But when you need to be creative is really when you're working at your peak. So maybe it's the morning time where you have your most creativity or it's right after dinner. And that's something that you ultimately learn about yourself. That's right. And and I I think, um, as you said, when we started in the business, it was really like just work hard, pay your dues, and you're like, okay, travel, travel, travel. Um, But I do think also the clients have changed too. Even though you might get a note from them at nine o'clock at night, they know that they're reaching out to you at nine o'clock at night. Um, And and they're respectful of that. Uh, And I think there's a more human aspect to it. I also applaud the the people that, the younger people we hire now, because I love the idea that they have their you know, their work-life balance, and they want that. Because really, everybody should be entitled to that. Absolutely. And uh, so, and I, I always feel lucky that I'm the boss, and that I can actually 
you know, say yes to that and, and, and think about people in a human way. I had the same thing. My daughter lived practically at our place and, you know, she wanted to sit next to Michelle and learn how to draw for years. You know, she was always like, yeah, let me use the markers. Um, and, you know, we said when we started Big Red Rooster that we wanted it to be a kind of place you could bring your kids and your dog because, you know, that's your life. Um, so there are snow days. They're not separate. <laughs> they are not. There, there is no difference. And yes, you might go in on Saturday because you have a great idea and you've got to get it down. Um, you don't mind that. You don't look at that and say, oh, this is just terrible that I had to work the weekend. You actually say, I had a great weekend because I got something accomplished. Well, and I think it's also, and I know that some of my, like Ari, you're in here, so my, um, and she and I have worked together for years and different generations. And um, the one thing that I, I do tell um, people is I think it is good to also have a separation between work, work life and home life. And so, and that can be really challenging when you're young, right? Because your best friends are the people you're seeing every day. And, and I get that. And, and I think that's great. I said, but I also challenge them sometimes that, you know, to try to have some of that, that separation, because I think you feel, I think you feel fresher. I think you feel, um, uh, I think that, that the balance really comes to, to fruition because I know I've worked in other agencies where they're, all the designers are with everybody all day and then everybody goes out it, together and then everyone's on the weekends and um, it was never when I would be it was never that I was being rude when I didn't do that I just really valued that that my home time and my family time and my friends that I didn't work with doesn't mean that you can't be friendly with people that you know so I've always challenged people and sometimes I get met with oh you're just so old school <laughs> and that's fine right that's fine it just it worked for me um, and I just think it's nice to have that balance so I, I really appreciate um, what you're saying about just sort of um, uh, acknowledging the you know the kind of changing expectations around work-life balance and I think um, at times we you know it's too easy to kind of say oh you know kids these days you know they don't have the 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 grit you know to uh, to to make it through you know those kind of uh, grinding uh, you know nights uh, at the at the agency and I think that um, one of the things that we've been talking a lot about here at CCAD lately is this notion of healthy creativity and that, in fact, healthy creativity is what leads to creative excellence. Um, so it's great to hear that this is something that you're all you know, thinking about as well um, out there in the creative workforce. Um, last question for me, and then we'll turn it over to the audience for uh, questions. Um, kind of a two-part question, and you can answer one or both parts, but um, if, if you were you know, to give advice to um, a young person who is interested in working in an agency, um, what's a piece of advice you would give them? And also, what's a piece of advice you would give CCAD or schools like us to help better prepare students to uh, make it out there in the agency world? Well, I can start with that one because it's a little self-serving. Um, but from a design perspective, um, we're getting a lot of interns from CCAD through great recommendations uh, to, to some of my previous, uh, co from my previous coworkers. I would challenge um, designers, my best piece of advice is broaden your, your area of expertise because you will be way more valuable 
to clients. So if you think in the graphic design, environments design, industrial design, what have you, I really challenge you to start to think um, about what you can offer strategically. Because I think it's, um, it's a level playing field, and I'm not minimizing great creativity, but when we look at graphic design, a lot of people have a lot of great portfolios. There's a lot of great work out there, and a ton of it comes from CCAD. I think it's the best. Um, I'm going to you on that. Yeah, but what, but what separates people out are those people who talk about the why behind it. And they're able to clearly articulate the why. It's based on what. And when students, and I've come to your creative portfolio reviews, I love to do that. And I'm not a designer, I'm a strategist. And I'm reviewing, you know, what, I, you know, design. But I ask them, well, what, what, what was the thinking behind that? You know, was, did you have any data? Well, how did you use that? You know, what was the goal? What was the objective? What were you trying to achieve? other than it just looks great. So we really look for that um, in the hiring process um, at Fitch, as well as I'm, I can know, speak for Diane, you guys, you guys are very wired strategically as well. So I would broaden your, your studies in terms of, I know that you guys have that um, capability. There's a great design research program here and curriculum, and, um, and I think that it makes you way more valuable. That's my advice. Yeah, and I would say once you get the internship with any of us, you know, to come in, um, you know, learn everything you can in that. Sit through any meeting. That you ask can get. to go to a meeting. <laughs> ask. Just ask. Push your, yeah, just be a pest. But definitely say, I want to sit in meetings. I want to hear what people are saying. Because you're going to learn so much. It's, it's amazing what you come to us with. Um, but I think it's really amazing what you leave with because um, if you can sit in those meetings, if you can hear the why, if you can if you can actually hear Michelle tell you the whole reason and then present the design, watch the designer do that. That there that, that is so valuable to you. So once you get that, Karita um, Kent is one of my favorite um, artists. So if you don't know Karita Kent, you should. But um, she had posting when she was trying to teach people how you know about her work, and she used students. It's really wonderful. But she says, get to a place and learn to trust. And then basically absorb everything you can. Do whatever is asked of you and just open yourself up for that because you will leave that experience so much richer um, than coming in thinking, I'm a graphic designer and I hope I'm gonna do a logo for Nike. You're not, <laughs> you know, so it's just definitely just open yourself up. And I like that you say, do anything they ask you to, to do. Because if someone's like, well, sure, I'll help you. Sure, I'll do that. You know the first person I'm gonna go again when I need something. Um, I think to build on what you were saying too, um, one thing that really helps me um, coming from University of Cincinnati is I started interning my sophomore year. And so by the time I graduated, I think I had had four different jobs. And there's something so valuable that comes from knowing you have this one job for three months or four months or the summer. And you get to really step back and evaluate what it's like to work in that agency versus this agency, this part of the country, this size, small, big. So work as many places as you can before you really need to find a job. 
And don't be afraid to network. I just um, am championing this organization this year called Ladies Wine and Design Columbus. You can look it up online. It's for it's free to be a part of it. All kinds of designers can be a part of it. It's women working and studying in design. And you can meet a lot of people. You can find your next job. You can get connected. So check it out. Don't stop asking to participate. Don't stop introducing yourself to strangers and, and get a job. And don't forget about that tool called LinkedIn. Oh, yeah. Sometimes designers don't like to LinkedIn, you know, bring a more business tool. Love getting portfolios, obviously, but LinkedIn and, and write and post and comment and, um, you know, be active. You know, it's good to be active in, in, and also watch what you, you know, I mean, from a social media perspective, I mean, when I was in my 20s, I mean, now I'm really dating myself, right? No, no social media. Um, we're looking at all of that. So be very thoughtful, you know, about what you're posting. Um, and um, I'm not saying like stuff, like I'm not talking getting inappropriate. That's not what I mean. But things that are thoughtful, like it's like, wow, they had that perspective. That's really cool. That's really interesting. Um, and also, like I say, make sure that LinkedIn profile is yeah, LinkedIn is the business, it, you know, thing. So you got to do it, and it is great if you're artistically inclined and you're an introvert because I'm there. But they pay me not to be an introvert. So, um, so LinkedIn is a great way for you to socially connect and sort of get that going. And then you'll find another introvert like me who I, you know, want to talk to you. Um, so. Is, I think that's the best part about it for um, for young people is get on it, get a, get a profile together, make it interesting, like our post. You know, <laughs> we like it when you like them. You know, we love likes. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's all great advice. Thank you. Um, so I want to turn this over to the audience. Uh, what questions do you all have? So I'll just repeat that in case people didn't hear it. So the question is, how do you make gender not an issue when it is such an issue culturally? So how do you leave that behind when you go to work? I focus on the work. Mm -hmm. I'm there to do a job. I don't care how old you are, what color you are, what sex you are. We're here to do a job. And if we keep focused on the content we're creating, I think you can get over a lot of the things that maybe come into the door that you don't expect. Yeah, I would I would echo that. Just stay focused on the work and do everything you can to gain respect from both genders in the workplace, from the women and the men. Um, I think is is really critical. Um, but you're right, Ari. It is so culturally, and it's so. I mean this movement and that move it's hard to stay on top of it as a woman. And actually, if I would go home at night and start to think about the enormity of some of those issues, it would crush my spirit, to be honest. Um, and I really try, I just try to not take that into the day, my day-to-day -day thinking as much. Um, and I certainly try to avoid, um, again, this is my age, but the water cooler conversations about those issues, you know, in the workplace, and try to really kind of stay focused on what it is um, that, that we're trying to do every day and try to leave that, you know, leave that to the side. Doesn't mean it doesn't, I'm not minimizing it, doesn't mean it doesn't concern me, um, you know, because it, some, some of the stuff is actually, you know, um, pretty bothersome, but... Um, I, I echo what Allison's saying. Yeah, stay focused on the work. And we are fortunate to be in the industry that we're in. 
um, because we definitely don't, you know, we are not an industry that we're, we, we, like we said, it's a very good industry for women. So it does, you know, but it, we see it in clients, we see it, so you, if you focus on the work and you, know, you tend to ignore that, do good work, um, you know, fulfilled by that, and really present yourself, you know, in that way, I don't think you can go wrong. It's not, it's not going to, you know, it's not going to affect you because you're not going to allow it to. Marseille, and then behind Marseille. Yeah. So the, the question is, um, have any of you turned down any client uh, work either for ethical issues or because you just feel like they're never going to be successful with what they want from you? Um, I haven't experienced at the, my current agency, uh, personally I've known of anything turning down for ethical reasons. At the last agency I worked on, we were approached to do casinos. And the um, president said, we're not doing casinos. And it was a fairly lucrative RFP. Um, and so, so that was taking a stance, and you know, we all supported that. Um, so that, that was an, an example for me personally. I think that that's a great question. I, I think I have kind of two parts. Um, I've found that the, the more I continue in my career, the more personally invested I feel in my client's success. And I kind of look at my time as I'm giving you a really important asset that I have. And so it's gotten more and more kind of a bar of what's the right fit. I think you are well respected when you say, I don't think I'm the right person for your project without having an opinion about whether their idea is good or not, right? I'm not the right person for your project. Maybe you should talk to these other people. I've also turned down in, in the past few years a project, and for me it was about something I really believe in. I'm a, I've been a huge supporter and believer and spend every day thinking about my health, and I had a vape store, you know, a multi-unit vape store approached me and I said, I just can't, within good conscience, help you design this brand and design the store. I am not the right fit. And, and that was really a hard decision. It wasn't financial at all. And I think if you're um, with a larger agency um, and you're not able to make that decision, and I, we've had that as well, where you're able to, then you have to look at the teams and really make sure that the people that are going to be work on it will be enthusiastic and care because it is true as a creative you put your passion into it um, if you don't you're not going to do good work so the idea then is to really look at um, you know which people would want to work on that um, so if you don't get the choice to decline work which we have done also um, and often it's because it's a competitive thing closer to another client and you want to be loyal to the client that you have so you say you know we, you know, we can't do that because because we're working for this client, or you don't even have to say that. You just say, I don't think I'm the right person for the for the work. Um, and I think that really goes a long way. I think people respect that. Be yeah, because they, they can understand that. Thank you. Great. So have you ever suffered from imposter syndrome and self-doubt? And if so, um, how do you, I, well, the second part was really good, about um, how do you, yeah, reinforce the confidence in those moments? That is an awesome <laughs> question. That's a good question. That's an intimate question. And I would say I have, yes, suffer, I have suffered from that. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, um, in, in my career. And so I think the thing that, um, and, and I have suffered at it at my own organization, 
to be honest with you, um, and I've been there five years, um, and a lot of it was not really anybody's fault. It was my own, you're right, it was my own self-doubt, and I was putting my worth in, um, why aren't they inviting me to this conversation, or why aren't I have a seat at the table for these big decisions? I've got stuff I, I, I wanna say and contribute. And at the end of the day, how I, got, how I get over that doesn't mean that it doesn't creep in, because it does, trust me. Um, is that I try to put my worth and my success in the workplace, not talking family stuff, in the workplace, on um, the, what the clients value and how the clients react to myself, my team's contribution. Um, and when they, you know, say that, you know, oh my gosh, you know, we, it, that was such a nugget, or we're so, you know, that was so insightful. Or, you know, um, she needs to be on this project. That's probably for those of us sitting here when your client says, oh my gosh, we want her, you know, on this project. Um, then you're thinking, okay, regardless of what might be happening, you know, at the executive level in your own organization, you're, you're doing what they paid you to do, and that was to serve clients. And as long as I'm meeting their needs, the other stuff you know, that goes on can be, you can navigate that. It doesn't mean, you know, you don't, already can attest to this, you know, it doesn't mean that it doesn't kind of sometimes eat you up inside a little bit, but it can be debilitating if you let, if you let do that and you don't get to this point in your career. You know, I'm a director in a world-class design agency working with the best brands in the world, career-defining stuff. It doesn't get any better than that. So I have to keep reminding myself of that. That's how I deal with it. I, I, I agree. And it, it's the same as the, the question about gender. You focus on the work. Um, you continue to focus on the work. And you, you know, because that will come in. It'll, it'll come and it will go. But it, at the end of it, when you feel success is when you know, they say, I want her, or um, you're staying on this project, right? You're not going on, you know, you're like, yes, I'm staying on this project. And you feel that empowerment. And, and then you're like, what am, I, what am I doing thinking that way? But it, it, does, it does creep in. Um, I, I, I guess that makes us humble um, a bit, but. Human. Um, human, yes. I think everybody has self-doubt, right? Male or female, we all have self-doubt. And it's really about not letting it take over, not letting it stop you. Let it be, think about it more like a little bit of a fire like a fire in there pushing you a little bit harder to think a little bit more, to noodle on that solution a little bit longer. Because I think, to your point, to both of you made, it kind of comes and goes, and everybody has it, but you can't let it, can't let it overtake you. Surround yourself with you know, people, too, that support you and cheer you on, and you, know, you, need your, you need some super fans. So when you're having those moments of doubt, you can call your super fans they can pull you out of it. And you know, some of my best super fans are men in the office. They're my oh, male yeah. coworkers, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, and so, so that's empowering, right, as well. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Great question. Did you guys hear that? She was, yeah, okay. So um, I t some of the most successful people that have moved from design to strategy are simply people who, We'll have a project come in, and I had this in 
every, and when I say every agency that I worked in, I've only worked in two. <laughs> I've worked at Fitch twice, and then I worked at WD uh, with Allison um, in my own, my own business um, as well. But were the people, designers, who would want to contribute strategically, and then they would do it again. And then they would do it again, and then they would approach you. One of, I brought somebody um, at WD um, who was on the design side who just basically looked at me and she said, I want to do what you do. How do I do that? And I said, well, let's just put you on a project. Start you know, so, I mean, what's that? Start, start doing, doing it. it. Just start doing it. <laughs> make it up. You know, make it up. Present back to me. A lot of it's making it up. Right. Yeah. I, isn't that our it's job? A lot of it is making it up. We have to make things up all the time. Yeah. So, um, so that's one avenue, right? Trying to get yourself, you know, aligned to some strategy folks in the in the agency that that you're working with, and just start expressing the desire, right? Because it's really it's hard to find. I mean, I think you know we have some people from our New York office that are here tonight, and then our office, just even. Strategists alone, and even especially strategists that can work in the design world, it's hard to find. So I love the people who started in design. My best strategist I've ever had on my team, she went to design school. She's sitting here right now with me. And because she, um, Ari, what was your degree in? Her degree was in business, and you went to Parsons, right? So, um, you know, so things like business degrees. I actually, um, I have a degree um, in business, um, but a lot of people in the insights field, when I was when I was kind of moving up the ranks, had more social science and consumer behavior, um, psychology backgrounds, and, and things like that um, on that side, more on the insight side than than the strategy side. Yeah, so even though Michelle says she's not a creative, I think she's a creative thinker, and yeah. so when you start there. I think that you know you you can be attracted to that side of it, the, to the analytical side of it. It's it's not so far apart from, and so that I think you know it's great. We mm -hmm. love it when strategists have you know creative minds because they they synergize with us so well. One of our best strategists is is a real you know she's a creative. She draws, she paints, she does things, and she but she's a, a phenomenal strategist. And I think that's just you know. Those two things are not as far apart as you think they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the design, uh, we have two, we, we only hire, and I, can I do a plug? Yeah, please. <laughs> Anyone in design uh, who want, we are, we need interns, right? And strategy team definitely needs interns. We have a talent, we do something called a talent trial, where, and it's a lot of fun, and um, I don't know if our current intern, if he's still sitting here, is he here? Oh, he had class. Really? He went to class? <laughs> um, but we do something called a talent trial, and that's just really getting to know you, how you think. I mean, yeah, we, we review your portfolio, but we review it kind of lightly when we're doing the talent trials is just you showing us how you think, how you would approach a problem. We do something with our, our PhD, our physical, human, and digital, and we have fun activities and exercise. We love strategy interns who are designers. Mm -hmm. So I know we um, have that coming up on, am I have the date right? I forgot to bring the flyer up. March, um, applications in by March 17th, and the talent trial is March 27th. I'm looking at Ari like she's memorized <laughs> it, but. They're giving you the thumbs up. Yeah. And there good. are flyers on the front table about there that. There are, yeah, there are okay. some. So I hope that answered your question, yeah. 
Well, um, I'm sure that they will be happy to hang out for a little bit longer and ask any other individual questions should you have them. Um, I just want to thank Michelle and Diane and Allison one more time. Um, when we did our mic check, they assured me that there would be no dead air, um, and they held true to that promise, so thank you. Um, that was really a, a fantastic conversation. So once again, um, you all are doing amazing, incredible work, um, and so thank you for that work. Thank you for being here tonight, and thank you all for joining us. Thanks, you guys.